Welcome to the First NAS Podcast. This week, Pastor Paul and Pastor Ryan finish up a series on 1 Timothy by discussing chapter 6 and the perseverance it requires to live a life of legacy in faith. Let's listen in. This is my last sermon in 1 Timothy today. I've been going through the book of 1 Timothy for the fall, and Ryan's been, been here with me through the fall to, to ask questions and interrupt and make comments as, uh, as I'm missing things. And so I invite you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6 with me. I'm in the last few verses of, of the letter of 1 Timothy. And uh, as you're turning there, let me just say a couple of things. It was mentioned no Wednesday night programming this week. That includes youth group. Uh, there's also, uh, I won't be doing Thursday morning prayer via Zoom. And so I need to be like... Uh, saving up room in my belly right then. I don't know what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be sleeping, I think, probably still on Thursday morning. So uh, wake up and pray, but not with me at six. And then I wanted to just mention we have been doing on the third Sunday of every month, we've been having a lunch for those who are, are newer in our congregation. And so this is just for anybody who really wants more information about who we think we are as the Lewis and First Church of the Nazarene. And so that'll happen in our fellowship hall right after church. You're all welcome uh, to, to join, and, and I'll talk a little bit about who we think we are. So I'd love to have you join us for that. And then I mentioned uh, earlier in the service that our board met this week, and one of the things that we do during this season of the year is we think about giving away some of the money that we have as a church. And so... By God's grace, we, we have enough. We have enough, and, and we're blessed by that. And enough means that we can support some of our local partners with gifts toward the end of the year here. And so we are, we are giving away $10,000 this year, uh, $3,000 to Life Choices, $3,000 to Family Promise, and then 1000 each to Young Life, uh, Union Gospel Mission, Salvation Army, and St. Vincent de Paul. And so I say that a little bit with embarrassment because like we shouldn't be letting our left hand know what our right hand is doing, but I also say it as like a celebration and praise God and thank you. And again, the season of gratitude, we just say thank you for all that we have. And as a board, I think we might actually be modeling a little bit about what Paul talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 6 here. So I'm excited about that. Well, I mentioned that I've been preaching through this letter to Timothy, Paul's, Paul, the Apostle Paul's favorite disciple, his closest disciple, Timothy. It's the first of two letters we have in the New Testament directly from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, and it's the longer of the two. It's probably written before. When Timothy received this letter, he was overseeing the work of the church in the city of Ephesus, and and we've been kind of getting to the end of this letter for quite a while now. Uh, we've, like, for the last three weeks, we've been in chapter six, and Paul has kind of just been, like, bouncing all over the place. If, you, if you're keeping track, if you have your scorecard, Paul has so far in chapter six talked about the attitude of slaves toward their masters. He's talked about false teaching that's happening in the church. Uh, he talks about what it means uh, to be wealthy and to, to desire riches. He's talked about the way that Timothy ought to live to reflect the gospel. 
And he even threw in a hymn of praise in chapter 6. And so Paul, in this letter, what he's, this last chapter, it reminds me of, of what I do when I, when I pack for a vacation or for a trip. Like, I'm, I'm a quick packer, but I'm a careful packer. So I will very quickly calculate how many pairs of socks I need, like to the sock, right? And I will pack carefully exactly the number of socks I need. I will know what I'm going to wear every day of the trip, I'll, I'll know exactly everything that I need. I'll have it packed perfectly. The bag will be by the door. And, and then, you know, I'll go about doing a few other things before we leave the house and all that. There's one other thing I forgot. I forgot the charger. I forgot the charger that's by my bed. I got to go to the, get the charger by my bed. So I'll go to the charger by my bed. And then as I'm going to the charger by my bed, I'll see, oh, the book that's by my bed, my bedtime book. I got to have my bedtime book. And so I grab my bedtime book and then I'm walking past the closet and I think, you know, one more pair of socks. I better do one more pair of socks. And so I'm getting the socks out of the, out of the closet and I see my workout shorts. And I think, yeah, you know, I'll probably have some time to work out. I better take the workout shorts. So I got to throw the workout shorts. Oh, need the workout shoes too because you're going to work out. And then, uh, oh, what if it's cold and I need my travel slippers? Somebody gave me travel slippers once and this is a chance to use them. So I grab the travel slippers and by the time I get back to my bag by the door, my arms are full of things and, and I can't, I have to reopen the bag, repack, reshuffle. What Paul does in this letter, on this chapter, it reminds me exactly of that. Like he's been all over the, he, he had this beautiful plan. He had this beautiful plan. He, he executed perfectly this beautiful plan for this letter. And then he gets to the last chapter and he says, oh, I almost forgot. I got to run back and I got to grab and I got to touch on that subject again. And so this, these, last, these last few verses seem like Paul is just, he's doing that last minute gathering in the things that he's, he's forgotten. So, is that an so apt? Some of you may not identify with that. I don't identify with you that. Don't you're, you're like Paul, Paul. Maybe. Maybe. I feel like I'm more like Timothy. I mean, uh, I don't pack for trips. My wife packs for me. Oh, wow. And she does an amazing job. Wow, well. And she packs things that I don't think I'm going to need, but I end up using because she's smart. Like extra clothes. You never know if you're going to get wet. You know, so she's, she, like you, will pack for all circumstances, all occasions. And I see it as too much stuff to take, but I end up using all of it anyway. So in the long run, I tell her she's right. So I feel like maybe I'm more like Timothy and you're, you, Paul, or more like Paul. The Apostle Paul. One, well, one more thing. Yeah, one more thing. One more thing. So it's interesting to notice that this letter ends without one of the typical last-minute items that Paul throws in letters. If you look at all of the rest of Paul's letters, I believe, you see last-minute greetings to people in the church that are receiving the, the letters. And you might say, well, this is a letter to Timothy. Of course, there's only, he's only writing to Timothy. Well, but wait a minute. If you look at the end of 2 Timothy and the end of Titus, which is another letter written to an individual, we find that same kind of instructions to the church or people or greetings from or to specific people. 
First Timothy, completely free of greetings. No, no say hi to Phoebe for me. None of that kind of stuff in, in the letter of First Timothy. He's just, he's just grabbing, grabbing these last minute themes that he needs to throw in and make sure he touches on. The way I read the letter though, Paul could have been done at the end of verse 16. At the end of verse 16, that's a high point. He says, amen. I mean, this is like a high point in the letter. He's, he's given this hymn of praise. He's, he's, it's a high point. Why don't you just say, sayonara, sincerely, Paul. He doesn't, he doesn't sign the end like that in many letters. Uh, but he, uh, he's, like, he's like when you're, you're praying. Have you ever found yourself praying and you keep saying the word and after every sentence and you can't cut it off? he's like, and, oh, I don't have anything else to pray for. But he he just keeps going. He has one more thing he forgot to say. And the first thing he forgot to say is directed toward rich Christians. It's directed toward rich Christians. He had one more thing he hadn't mentioned yet about rich Christians. And he's already talked about wealth and the temptation of wealth. And, And that's, you know, just a few verses earlier. He's talked about these things, and he has to come back. And, and one last item he, he finds himself talking about is how, how, as believers, we relate to wealth. So we, we read Paul's words here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 16 through 17. He throws in this last little bit. He says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. I'm not going to highlight that. I should have highlighted that later on. All we need for our enjoyment, not just like rice and beans, beans and rice, but like all we need for our enjoyment. God richly gives us, wow. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. So again, because Paul has already talked about wealth, this just seems like a last minute throw in. It's like, oh, one more thing about the wealthy. I gotta, I gotta throw this in. He's, he's already talked about, about how Christians relate to wealth, and, and mostly he's talked about how wealth can be a trap. But what we haven't really addressed in, in my talking about wealth earlier and, and as we approach this is that Christians really need to be prepared to deal with wealth. Christians need to, to know how to relate to wealth in this life. And, and that just goes to the historic reality that Christianity is, is good for people and, and their ability to earn and to, to make a living and to survive and often to have more than they need. Uh, and, and this just goes to like biblic, living by biblical principles is good for us financially. You know, if you, if you live with integrity, if, if you are frugal, if you work as if you're working for the Lord and not for your earthly boss, if, if you are able to recover from addiction, 
if you're able to improve relationships and have good relationships with people around you, historically, those things have proven for the church to be, to be beneficial for us financially. In fact, I heard uh, recently, I was listening to, I can't remember the source, I think it was just on the radio, I was listening to uh, uh, something on the radio where somebody was talking about John Wesley, and it, it wasn't somebody who is inclined to like John Wesley. In the Church of the Nazarene, we, we trace our theological roots back to John Wesley and the Methodist revival of the 1700s. Like that is, that's really foundational for us. There, there was somebody on the radio talking about the Wesleyan revival in the 1700s and how that movement among the poor created the middle class in England in the 1700s. It, it, like, it did that. <laughs> and, and because this, this person went on to say that uh, it, it could be potentially because of the Wesleyan uh, revival in the 1700s that England managed to escape a, a bloody revolution like France experienced in the 18th century. And so Paul, he, he realizes that this believing in Jesus stuff, it's going to make people who believe in Jesus have to confront the reality of wealth. And he wants to prepare believers, and he wants to prepare Timothy to prepare believers to deal with this reality of wealth. Yeah, I think it's uh, one of the most important things we can do. Do you all know that you're wealthy? Yes. I mean, in comparison to the vast majority of people in this world, we are rich beyond our wildest dreams uh, with the ability to consume and get things that we think we need or we want. Um, and I think it's a big thing. I, I don't know how often you preach about, because uh, I haven't been here for about a year, how often you preach about tithing. Or, But I think the Paul preparing, asking Timothy to prepare these who are wealthy uh, not just in their faith, but in their resources, to be generous. Um, and if you ever have taken on the task of outgiving God, uh, I don't know if any of you have ever tried to do that. It doesn't work. I'll just tell you I've tried. It doesn't work. Mm. But what happens when you do that, when you fall into that cycle of generosity uh, and you're prepared for the blessings that you are given by God is more blessings are given to you when you're giving them to others. It is a cycle, I think, that is so good for us as followers of Christ to be in, uh, to recognize how much we truly have. You know, we always have that laundry list of things that we still want, you know, to compete with those around us, the Joneses, or we don't have any Joneses in the church today. Yeah, we do. Oh, that's right, Tiny Kathy, sorry. We're not trying to keep up with you. Or the, or the Smiths or anyone, you know, that trailer or jet ski or boat or, or whatever, you know, it's, it's not about those things. When we just look around our house, if you, I'll say it again, I said it last time I preached, if your car is out in the driveway homeless because you have filled your garage full of stuff, you're wealthy. If you don't have any room for your cars, your two-car garage is now a one-car garage or a zero-car garage, um, the amount of wealth we have to prepare to say, God, everything I have has been given, you, given to me by you. And it's all for your will, not mine. That couch that's sitting in my living room. I have enough money to get another couch. Somebody needs a couch. I've got a couch. You can have my couch. I'll go get another one. My wife will be happy that she gets to spruce up the living room. But that cycle of being prepared, 
to give, being prepared to answer prayers, being prepared uh, to be used by God to be the answer to pr- somebody's prayer is such an amazing cycle to be in as a follower of Christ. And, so, and one that every single one of us needs to be, no matter how wealthy you think you are, how unwealthy you think you are, we are all wealthy. And God can use every single one of us to be generous to someone around us mm-hmm. and to show them that Christ is alive, that prayers are answered, if we're just willing to listen and be obedient. So if we remember the passage that came earlier in 1 Timothy chapter 6, we we remember that Paul talked about the trap that wealth can be. He says in verse 10, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Really, when it comes down to it, loving wealth is just idolatry. Uh, Idolatry is believing that the problems we find in this life or that our eternal hope can be, can be given to us by anything other than God. It, idolatry is believing that the problems we encounter in this life, or the, the eternal longing of our heart, can be solved by anything other than God. And so when we put our trust and our hope in money, when, we, when the desire for money is our first desire beyond everything else, we have slipped into idolatry. We have believed that, I, that something other than God can satisfy us. Something other than God is a solution to the deep problems of our heart and of our world. And so Paul is talking in this passage to, to Christians. To, he, he's talking to people who are, who are part of the church who have wealth. Just know this means being wealthy is not sin. Having, having resources, financial resources, it's not sinful. And, and sometimes maybe we we make it sound that way. Uh, we, can, we can get down on wealth. It, Paul is saying, tell the believers in the church who are wealthy. He's talking to Christians. He's not talking to people who are out and out sinning. Paul's telling Timothy to confront people who are sinning. He's telling people who have financial resources how to, how to relate to them. What about the trap of the prosperity gospel? Yeah, I mean, maybe I'll talk a little bit about that here in a minute, but there is this, this trap, this idea that says that if, especially says that you can give in order to receive financially uh, from God, and, and that's a lie. Um, that doesn't, doesn't appear scriptural. The, especially if that's your intent. Right, yeah. Because I mean, God looks at the heart, doesn't he? And if your intent's just to get more, yeah. you, you're probably not going to be getting any very many blessings when you're given. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, it can be so twisted so easily and brought off of you know, that straight, narrow path uh, so easily, and it can sound so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Paul, Paul is, has a real pastoral concern, though, in this passage. There's, in the, when we first read the very beginning of uh, verses 17, uh, it, it sounds like he's kind of rehashing what he's already gone over in, in this passage. He says, don't, don't let the rich Christians be proud. Don't let them trust their money. It sounds a lot like what's already been said. But then he has this little, this little twist he gives. He has this little twist, and, and it's something so simple you could miss it completely if you're not paying attention. But Paul, speaking to, to the heart of people who want to experience true peace and, and true fulfillment in life, he, he says, don't trust in money because it is so 
unreliable. It's so unreliable. It's fleeting. It's here, here today and gone tomorrow. When Paul adds the idea that money is so unreliable as something to put our trust in, it reminds us that the Apostle Paul really loved his church. He really loved the Christians in Ephesus. He didn't want them to put their hope in something that would fail them. He didn't want them to to trust in something that wasn't the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. And so he says, "You, you know, money... It's just too unreliable. Just don't, don't put your trust in it. It is, it is teach, teach the Christians in Ephesus, Paul says to, to Timothy, to trust in God and to not trust in, in wealth because trusting in wealth is setting us up for disappointment. And, and I really think that Paul's concern here is, is very much earthly. It's very much earthly because in this life, like the gospel has to do with how we live now, not just our hope in eternity, right? The gospel has, has solutions to the problems that face us right now and not just in eternity. And, and so Paul, Paul is talking to people who have this, this thing that looks like a solution to lots and lots of problems in this life. They, they have this wealth. And, and the, the temptation of idolatry to trust anything other than, than Jesus for, for solving the problems that we face in this life, uh, it, it's so insidious, it, it, it just grabs at our, at our heart. The idolatry just sets us up for, for disappointment. So Paul says, take money. Take that very thing that is probably most tempting in your life to make you an idolater. Take that very thing that is most likely to make you want to trust anything other than God, take it and give it away. Give it away. Just don't, don't hoard it. Be, his exact words are, be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Yeah, how, how many of you like living paycheck to paycheck? I don't see any hands. No, one's, no one likes living paycheck to paycheck. Um, there's a proverb, and for right now, it's just as, escaping my mind where it is. But it says, Lord, give me exactly what I need for today. If I have too much, I'll forget about you and, and I misuse you. You know, If I have too little, I'll become like a thief and probably steal to get what I need. And that would be bad for the Lord, the name of the Lord, wouldn't it? Uh, so, the, and please don't misunderstand me. I am not, for anybody who has a 401k or retirement plan or whatever, you know, but to live in the here and now, to live in the day to day and to focus on today, to take that money, to take those possessions and say, they're not mine. Uh, I just said it a minute ago. They're, they're yours, Scott. So if you need them, use them, take them, whatever you need. That's a dangerous place to live, isn't it? None of us really want to go that far. Mm-hmm. We, we want security. We want financial security. And here, Paul's reminding Timothy and us, uh, that thing that becomes so I- idolatrous so quickly, so easily, get rid of it. Just use it as a blessing, as a tool for God to bless others. Uh, don't let it control you. Don't let it become part of, of that. So, I mean, not, not that I enjoy or anyone would enjoy living paycheck to paycheck, but the good reminder from God's Word is maybe that's a place that we need to be in our mindset 
Uh, not worrying about where the next paycheck's going to come from because God does great things for us and we stay with him and it will work. Uh, but then to also not hoard yeah. and to not, uh, not give when giving is what's needed, you know, just be ready to say, uh, I'm done with it. It's yours. You can have it. And I'll just live today, for today, with what you give me. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just so cool to me how Paul says, take that very thing that is, is a temptation to brokenness, <laughs> that is, is right where, where we are most tempted, and, and turn that into a source of blessing. Turn that into a reminder of, of the hope that we have. Uh, that, that our hope isn't in just amassing more. Our hope is in the Lord and trust, trust in the Lord for, for all that, that the Lord has promised. And don't get me wrong, we, we aren't buying our way into God's good graces when we act generously. It, as, as we mentioned, we talked about the, the idea of, of giving in order to receive it, nor do we give in order to be right with God. We, we cannot give so much that God has to forgive us of our sins. We can't give so much that, that God has to, to promise us you know, solutions to the problems we face in this, in this world. But our generosity in this life is a response to God's generosity with us. Our generosity with, with others is a reminder of the grace that we have received from God. God is gracious and will be gracious to us. And in response to that grace, we show grace to others. We give unmerited gifts to others because we, we have been given unmerited gifts. We have been given grace. Our generosity is then evidence of the character of Christ being formed in us. It, misers, people who hold on to every penny, they don't like Jesus because Jesus, he gives away too much stuff to too many people who aren't worthy. And, and so our heart needs to be changed to be like Jesus, to, to live in generosity. As we approach the, the Thanksgiving holiday, we ought to remember to be thankful for the things that Jesus told us to be thankful for, to, the ways that Jesus said we would be blessed. Remember when Jesus talks about blessing at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount? Remember what he says? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit for they will inherit the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, because they will inherit the earth. Let's not fall prey to the lie that our culture tells us that our blessing is found in our ability to spend. Right? Let's, let's not fall prey to that. Our culture really, really tries to get us to believe that. And it, it's amazing what this week is going to bring. Our culture has placed the high holy day of Black Friday after the day of Thanksgiving, right? And, and so in, in our world, we give thanks because, man, TVs are going to be cheap on Friday, right? Let's give thanks because we can go to, to Walmart and we're going to get that tablet finally. God has blessed us, right? Paul, Paul says, don't buy into the lie that your wealth is a reliable source of security and, and worthy of your hope. It, the, the most reliable path forward in, in security and enjoyment in life is generosity with our wealth. 
And, and rather than hoarding it, rather than trusting in, in wealth, rather than God, the most reliable way we can, we can use the, the blessings that we have is to, to live generously. And so Paul has been, has been packing up this letter. He's been running around the house throwing last minute items in. He, he, got, he got the wealth thing and he put it back in the bag and, and he's ready to go with that. But he's, he's got one more, one more thing. He's, he's like, you know, he's like when you're trying to get off the phone and you go back to the main idea again. Uh, he's just going to go back to the main idea. He's going to see if he can stop writing at this point. And so he goes back to the main idea. The last two verses, he goes back to the two themes that he has developed more than any other two themes throughout the letter. And so in verses 20 and 21, Paul says, Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. Avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. Some people have wandered from the faith by following such foolishness. May God's grace be with you all. Okay, so the, the two most prominent themes in the letter first is this idea that, that Paul wants Timothy to, to persevere, to persevere, to stay rooted in the gospel. He says, guard that which is entrusted to you. And there's a part of me, if you've been keeping track from the very beginning, in, in chapter one, Paul talked about this idea that there were words of prophecy spoken over Timothy. And we don't know exactly what that is. There's this idea that, that something, there, there was a time when people prayed over Timothy and there was something special that came out of that. And there's, so in my mind, when Paul says, guard that which is, has been entrusted to you, that's where my mind goes. And, and I think, I think, I don't know. I think, I think that this is in relation to his call to ministry. In relation to, because if they were praying over him and there was a word of prophecy, I think that it has to do with Timothy's life in ministry. And so Paul, if, if that's correct, Paul is, is saying, you know, like persevere in in the call that God's placed on your life. Persevere in it. And you know what Timothy did? If, uh, it's, it's not recorded in scripture, but according to, to tradition, Timothy died in 97 AD in Ephesus. He was, he's, he's commonly believed to be what would be the first bishop in the, in the Christian church in the city of Ephesus. And, and tradition has it in, in 97 AD, he was killed as a martyr for his faith and for leading the church. Uh, tradition has it that he was clubbed to death, that uh, folks from the, the cult of Artemis were sick of him preaching against their religious practice, uh, which involved temple prostitution, and, and they clubbed him to death, is the, the tradition. Paul wouldn't wouldn't be around to see that Paul was martyred before before that, but Timothy Timothy held the course. He held the course. He he persevered to the very end. I I think I would just as you're talking about that word persevere, um, I just think about the whole theme of our sermon series about legacy. Mm -hmm. uh, there may be some of you out there who are stubborn enough to persevere on your own. But most of the time, it doesn't work very long. Um, and so when I, when I look at that theme as being one of the two that Paul is talking about, 
Paul also embodied a way to persevere by encouraging Timothy so much, by having that depth of relationship, by right. calling him his own legitimate son. We go all the way back to the very first sermon. Yeah. You know, uh, as he said, this is my legitimate son. Like he was born in wedlock with me. Uh, he is that to me. Um, he is embodying that that perseverance by providing guidance, by providing encouragement, by providing so much knowledge and information to him, uh, telling him what to be wary about, telling him uh, the good things that he's doing, you know, reminding him of that. So, you know, as, as we're kind of look, getting towards the end of this, uh, who's your Paul? Every single one of you. It's hard to persevere on our own. We can do it out of will for a short amount of time, but we all need a Paul. We all need someone championing us. Um, we all need someone providing us with knowledge. We're not, we haven't finished the race yet, have we, any of us? Uh, and we need that person who's the, the more mature in faith, that has more wisdom in the things of God and Scripture, just you know, pouring into us so that we are becoming more and more like Christ. And it partly happens here. You know, you, you got, we have a wonderful pastor who gives us wisdom and talks about God's Word in a way that educates us very well. But you need it in your everyday life. Yeah. And Paul, this Paul, not the Apostle Paul, this Paul, he's good, but he's not that good. I'm not putting him down. But he cannot be every single one of you's personal mentor, encourager, or whatever. Try as he might, he wouldn't have enough in a week uh, to do it justice. So I think, you know, with that theme of perseverance, also with the overall theme of, of legacy and how we started this talking about mentorship and, and discipleship, you know, living this out, uh, Timothy was being discipled by Paul. So who is discipling you? I, I just want that to roll in your mind for a while. Who is discipling you on a continuous basis? Not just on Sunday morning for an hour. Mm -hmm. No, who's living life with you? Who is yeah. discipling you? and pulling you along the way, and pushing you sometimes, mm -hmm. and sometimes just standing back and watching you achieve great things that God is doing through you. Who, who is helping you persevere? Yeah. Yeah. So another option of, of something that this guard, what has been entrusted to you, could be referring to is just the simple message of the gospel, just the simple idea that God is, has entrusted this message to the church we're, we're feeding. Are you finished eating? No. No? <laughs> oh, no. Our batteries are dying. All right. Well done. Uh, the, it's possible that this message of the, that this guard what has been entrusted to you deals just with the gospel, just the, the plain truth of the gospel. Guard, guard the gospel truth. Guard the truth that Jesus has come, that Jesus has offered the solution to the problems of this world and the solution to the hope for eternity that you have within you. And guard that, guard that promise. Is, is possible that that's what, what Paul is telling Timothy in this section. Paul, Paul says, keep the big picture in mind. You know, then, then he repeats the second theme of the letter. The first theme, persevere. The second theme is, is don't get sucked into the arguments. Don't get sucked into the arguments. There, there are false teachers in the church in, in Ephesus who want to have conversations that, that are simply unimportant. They, they're not helping people live a godly life. And Paul, again, his concern is pastoral. He loves this church. 
He doesn't want those false teachers taking, taking root in the church and leading the church. He, he knows that there are, there are conversations that the church can be tempted by that will not, will not help people live godly lives. If we look back in the letter, we remember that they talk about the meanings of words. They talk about myths surrounding the Old Testament genealogies. They talk about spiritual pedigree. They, they do all this religious stuff, all this religious stuff that seems like, man, we're really doing stuff when we talk about these things. But they're not helping people take steps of faith. They're not helping people grow in generosity. They're not helping people to, to live in response to, to, God's, to God's grace and God's mercy. And, and uh, you know, this, this uh, temptation to study and to think and not do is insidious in the church. It's, it's kind of bad stuff in the church. When I went to seminary to get a, a master's degree to prepare to do this, right? It, it gave me everything I needed. Everything I needed, I learned in seminary. It, did you learn about plumbing? Plumbing. In seminary? No. Because one of my first church, <laughs> I mean, I have a master's too, not from seminary, but yeah. I, I didn't get everything I needed. Well. HVAC work? Yeah, no, those were Richard, both of those were Richard Schubert and the Connell Church of the Nazarene. Actually, oh, okay. So, yeah. Uh, the, when I would, when I went to seminary, some people said, well, have fun at cemetery. Uh, we, we give this sort of bad name, this, we have this bad, bad connotation with the idea of studying, studying about God and not actually connecting with the Lord. And it's, it's tempting, right? I, I could have dug myself into Greek and learned all kinds of stuff about the Bible that may or may not have really helped me live out my faith. Uh, I, I will tell you I'm very grateful for Asbury Theological Seminary because I, I, was, I was challenged to live out my faith. I, I began attending uh, once a week early morning communion uh, service during my years in seminary that were a time of, of just like fresh connection with the Lord for me week after week. And we don't do communion when we gather via prayer on, on Thursday mornings on Zoom or for prayer via Zoom. We, uh, but that idea has kind of been ingrained in me from back when I was in seminary. It's getting to be almost 20 years ago that I was doing that. I'm also, can I just say, I'm also grateful for for. And in you, Northwest Nazarene University, where in the Brant building where we have chapel, the quote from John Wesley, unite the pair so long disjoined, knowledge and vital piety is pasted there on the, on the front. We, we believe in our tradition in this, that they go hand in hand. So were you going to say something? Okay, when, when, we, when our Christian experience, though, when it becomes limited to our knowledge and to an academic pursuit, it's like we have an engine without the fuel, right? It's like having a, a, a motor with, with no gas because, you know, that, that knowledge, it's great structure. It's, it's very helpful. We know about God, but when we, when we try to only have a knowledge-based faith, we don't have the 
the energy to, to continue on. And so we fuel the engine by taking steps of faith, by pressing into God's presence in prayer and worship, by fellowshipping one with another. And, and those, that knowledge that we have, it gets put to the test. It gets put to the test, especially in relationship with one another, right? And, and so, as we walk closer with the Lord, the Lord gives us the fuel to run the motor, the, the energy to, to live out the way that we understand it is correct. And our theology, our understanding, our knowledge, it's not complete unless it's lived. It's not accurate if it doesn't work in day in and day out life. And so Paul, Paul wants us to make sure we're, we're not getting sucked into those things that will just be about knowledge, but we're making sure to press into the presence of God, to, to experience the Spirit of God moving in our lives. And on that, uh, so I already asked you, who's your Paul? Who's helping you persevere? But in regards to putting into action what we're learning, who's your Timothy? One, one, way, one form of action is discipling folks, um, talking with them, living life with them, uh, helping them explore the things about God, helping them discover new things, uh, better understandings, putting that knowledge into action by passing it along to someone uh, as they journey on a walk closer to Christ. So it's that duality of, uh, of realizing you, none of us are that good. We can't do it all on our own, right? Jesus, he was that good. Uh, but none of us are Jesus. We're not even close. So we set this up. You know, Paul sets this up as a great model for passing on legacy, a great model for mentoring and discipling, um, who is speaking into us so that we're not just getting a one-sided view of the scripture that we're reading, uh, who's teaching us, who's speaking into us, who's helping us develop that understanding and that knowledge, and then who are we speaking into, who are we discipling? You know, the church, I've often said, you've probably heard me say in one of my messages, the church is plan A for God's uh, plan for the world of everyone getting to know who Jesus is, and there is no plan B, yes. because the church is enough. Imagine what would happen if 200 Nazarenes walked out of First Naz and Lewiston and started discipling one person each. Imagine. It's not going to mean that all of a sudden we have 400 people going to church. No, that's not what it means at all. It means we got 200 Nazarenes and followers of Christ, more importantly, who are out there walking in the world with someone and sharing the journey, uh, pointing them to Jesus every step of the way. And that person may end up going to a church, it may not even be first mass, but they'll be part of the church, Amen. the family of God, you know, or they may come here. Great. Then we can get them into the cycle that we're learning about, about they've already got a Paul, now who is going to be their Timothy? Because no matter amount of, amount of knowledge you have about who Jesus is, you have something to pass on. You have something to pass on to everybody. Even if it's just a very base knowledge of, I know Jesus is the, uh, the Lord, the Savior, the Master, the Son of God, and I know he died to save me and he died to save you. That's good information. We call it the gospel. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a thesis, a doctoral thesis. Are you going to get a doctorate? No. You're not going to get a doctorate? <laughs> I've done enough school. I need to learn some stuff now. Okay. <laughs> That's one way of looking at it. 
So who is your Paul? Uh, and Pastor Paul's going to be wrapping up this sermon here. Who is your Paul? Who's speaking into you so that you can persevere? Who's giving you the encouragement continuously? Who's living life graciously with you? Who is helping you to understand how, how amazing it is to joyfully serve others and to serve Christ? Uh, and then who are you doing that for? Who are you, who are you a Paul to? Who is your Timothy? This is the journey of discipleship and mentorship and legacy that the church has passed down generation after generation after generation. It's because of laity, all of you who step up and say, I want to learn more, so I'm going to have a mentor in my life who step up and say, I have something to give, and I want to take action what God is teaching me, so I'm going to teach others. Yeah, yeah. and it doesn't, it doesn't happen always organically, right? Yeah. Yeah, you, we no. we have to be intentional about those relationships. We, yeah. We really, yes. So, back to packing up his bags. Paul has been all through the house. He's gotten all of the last minute items. He's thrown it all in. He's zipped up the suitcase. And he's ready to walk out the door. And and he, one one more time, he, he turns around and he says, he says these words. May God's grace be with you all. May God's grace be with you all. Just remember, God has been, has been with you. God has treated you better than you deserve. May you continue to walk in a life where you, where you receive his grace, where you know that God is treating you better than you deserve. This is Paul the pastor speaking to the church in Ephesus. And may Paul the pastor speak to the church in Lewiston. My regular prayer for each of you, as you come to mind, as I as I think through uh, our sanctuary, when I'm when I'm praying and pray for you based on where you sit. Sorry, Dave and Colleen, you move. Uh, as as I as I think through our directory at times and pray, my my prayer is grace, grace. May may God treat you better than you deserve. May you know, may you know all of the ways in which God is treating you better than you deserve. May you sense it. May you walk in it. May it more fully become alive and real in your life. May each day be a new journey. May you wake up each morning saying, this is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice in it. These are, as, as your pastor, these are my prayers for you. And, and so, in this week of giving thanks, May we, go, may we go now and remember all of the grace that we have received. May we celebrate it. And may we, and it's going to be inadequate. It's going to be just a small, it's going to be a small token compared to, to all that we've, we've received in God's grace. But may we, may we, as best we can, say thank you, Lord. Thank you. Will you let me pray for you? Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful because we are people of grace. We have received from you that which we, we could never have experienced without you. Lord, we, we love you. Uh, we, we pray that you would go as, with us into this week. Lord, I see the ways in which you are blessing us the ways in which you, you have treated us better than we deserve, the ways in which you are taking 
what is broken in our lives and making wholeness and, and newness out of it. I know that you are working in people's hearts to, to fill them with, with hope for eternity. And you are, you are filling them and, and making them whole. And so, God, I pray that as we have a day set aside in our, in our culture for giving thanks, that we would do it well. That we would remember to whom we are offering our thanks. And Lord, we, we pray that you would use us as agents of that which you've entrusted to the church to share this good news, this grace with others. Help us, Lord, to be attentive to the world around us, this world that needs the message of grace. And Lord, may, may, we, may we be agents of your grace to one another and to the world for the sake of your kingdom, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand with me and let me just send you out with Paul's simple blessing. May grace be with you all. You are dismissed. Thank you for joining us on the First Mass Podcast. We look forward to seeing you in person at 1700 8th Street in Lewiston. Come join us.